0: I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And on today's podcast, I want to talk to you about all the things that go into the skill assessments that we do for the artists who become members on Netflix, Because I thought that going through this process might help you do the same for yourself at home. So whether you take our assessment or you do one at home... You're going to start by ranking your one through five, your ability, in all of the major communication areas. So a few of the major points might be websites, social media, artist statement, gallery and museum relationships, grants, taxation, and the studio. We have a few more than that, but you get the idea. I also have you rate your current income and your ideal income one year from now. Where you want to be now. The ideal income doesn't mean that you have to hit it. It's ideal. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's set in stone and you're not a failure if you miss it. But the reason we set it is that it's an it's a motivating force. But that's also why I recommend when you set that number that you set something that seems achievable to you. So while it may be true that if you're making $5,000 a year now off your art and the ideal amount would be $100K, that certainly seems reasonable to me, but also trying to figure out a map where you would get from point A to point B, there's just too many points to map out over a year. It'd be impossible to do that. So I usually say don't set anything more than double and if you beat it, that's amazing, right? But it's hard enough to double your income in one year. So, you know, start small and start with something that you think you can reasonably do, but it's a little bit of a stretch. So the assessment, I think, is a really useful tool because you can visualize where your skills need improvement from the graph that we produce for you, because we give you this graph that just shows you literally in bar graph form, like where you are one through five. And then, you know, we look at how it aligns with your goals. So as a premium, like custom assessment for our annual members, what I do is I look at all the assets that you have online, your your website, your statement, your CV, your Instagram, your work. And then based on what I'm seeing and your set goals, I give recommendations and the timeline for the initial recommendations to be executed. So for us, you know, most artists in the membership want more shows in one form or another. You know, it might be in the nonprofit realm. It might be in the for-profit commercial realm there's a lot of different ways that that can take shape. So the first thing that I usually look at is your website. And I will look at that before your Instagram, because for me anyway, it has your work ideally in chronological order. It has installation shots, ideally, not always. It has a CV so that I can look at where you're showing And it gives me a much better overview of your career than your Instagram account. will. your Instagram account gives me a really good idea of what you're making right now. Both are really important. But in terms of a history, your website does a better job for that. Now, I personally don't recommend doing any kind of outreach unless your website and Instagram is up to date. Now, I feel like I have to immediately offer the disclaimer. That it, of course, yes, there are artists who haven't done any of this and it still works out for them. But it's just always better to have these ducks in a row than not. And I can tell you from personal experience that I've thought twice about including artists in shows because I've looked at their website and social. And I wasn't sure that I could trust them to be responsible. So maybe that's unfair. But my thinking has always been that if you can't up your update your website, like how would I know that you'd be able to do something much harder, like ship something on time? So that's always been just my process as uh, whenever I do any kind of curation. Now today in the first part of this podcast series. I'm gonna focus on websites and how I execute this part of the audit. But first, I wanna say that if you're having trouble making your website look good, you are not alone. In order to make a good-looking website, you have to look at a lot of other artist websites. You know, decide what you like, show your designer those examples, or use them as a guide for yourself if you're doing this without a without a designer. I recognize the problem with this though. When I was working with my brother, because I like, I asked him to show me some good architecture sites, you know, sites that he'd like his site to look like. <laughs> and, oh my god, he gave me like the worst websites, and I was like, if I have anything to do with these websites, I'm going to be embarrassed. But they were, you know, they were to- like they were out of date, and he's like a really smart extremely literate guy but all he does is design museums and community centers all day he's thinking about like zoning restrictions and that sort of shit like he's not looking at websites ever and that was really clear and I think a lot of artists are in that same category they're you know you're in your studio you're not thinking about a website and that's why we have a bunch of model Artist websites inside the portal so that you don't have to spend your days looking for sites that you don't know how to find because you haven't spent your time that way and you don't want to spend your time that way. So when I look at your website, one of the things I do evaluate is how up-to-date your template is. So if you're on iCompendium, I think this is a pretty good platform. Uh, The guy who owns it, Fan, like very customer service oriented, in my opinion, the templates could use a little bit of an update because it's been a couple of years. So that would be my caveat with them. But I would also say that the majority of artists inside Network and that I see are using Squarespace templates. I would say about 60% of you are on the 7.0 Squarespace template, which is not the most recent. The most recent is 7.1. And since the company is only offering updates to the 7.1 templates, my standard recommendation is to move when you have time. These templates are like the new templates that are just getting a lot better really quickly. So it's kind of exciting, exciting to see that. But as a word of warning, it's pretty time consuming to move all of your images over to the new library. So Basically, if you're on the 7.0, you have to like download all your images and then re-upload them because for some reason the the library just doesn't shift over, and that is supremely annoying. With all that said though, I my prediction is that within 2 years, maybe even a year and a half, those older templates are going to start to look like a little too out of date to stick with them. So you're kind of, you're okay now, but there's going to be a bunch of them that are going to need an update very soon. So one of the basic design flaws with not all, but a lot of the Squarespace 7.0 templates is that they don't have a footer. So for those of you who don't know what a footer is, it's basically the bit of real estate at the bottom of the page that is, you know, usually relegated to things that we don't think are that important, like the terms and conditions, the newsletter sign up, the contact, you know, the, the studio address, that sort of stuff. The thing is, though, is that those pages are actually really important. You can see that by the way that they're designed. So if we use the menu headings as a comparison, the menu headings are stable right? No matter what page you're on, the menu headings at the top always stay the same. There's only one other part of your website that operates in the same way, and that's the footer. So it never changes. No matter what page you're on, the footer is always there. It never goes away. It's static. And uh, that's really important because actually your contact information is there. Your mailing list sign up should be there. You've got your legal there, so you really need it. So if you don't have a footer, that would be something that I would make a priority. Now, mostly when I look at your website, what I'm looking to see is whether it follows standard organizational patterns. Now, I always say that UX is not the place to show off your creativity. like UX design, That's the, it's just not what people want. People, when they're on your website, they just want to find what they need. It's more like going to a grocery store, you know, where they, you know, they, they rarely design the aisles because you never want somebody to have to look for something in a grocery store because nobody wants to spend time there. They want to get in and get out. And if they can't find what they're looking for, they're just going to bounce and not buy something. And that's sort of a similar thing with a website, even if it's what most artist websites are which are portfolio websites, right? So they're not necessarily designed for e-commerce, but they are designed to uh, have somebody reach out to you. So don't make the navigational menu items move around. Try to keep your headings to one word whenever possible. Avoid the drop-down menus in favor of pages that use images as navigational clues, So the average artist series has names ranging from things like Untitled 2023 to A Million Years in the Making, let's see. I just made those names up. But the point with both of those is that neither one of those series titles tells us anything about what we'll see. And that's why it's really nice to have a picture as a navigational cue. So you don't need 10 menu headings on your website. (laughs) Four to six is preferable. And I take a look at how you've organized the headings and give some suggestions on where they should be placed and how they should be organized. If you have a heading for every medium you use, for example, you've got too many and I would recommend that you reduce them. When a visitor gets overwhelmed, they can't make decisions. That's when they leave the website. So a lot of what my recommendations are, are streamlining your navigation to make it clearer and easier to find the things that people want to find. And you wouldn't think that that's complicated, but it's kind of, it's not that different from writing. You know, I think there's an expression like, I would have written you a short letter, but I didn't have the time. (laughs) It's sort of similar with website navigation, where creating something that is very simple and easy to follow can sometimes be pretty complicated. So if you're struggling with this again, that's normal. This stuff is kind of hard. So, you know, the more you do it though, the easier it'll get and the easier it is when you have direct recommendations, right? And that's why that's exactly why I do this. I've been doing this for 20 years. So it's not it's really not that hard for me to look at a website and see what the problems are pretty pretty quickly. Now, any audit that includes a recommendation to use the website curriculum inside Netwerk and not all of my audits will, so you may uh, if you join Network and you get you know, an assessment from me, I may not think that your website needs that much work, so you wouldn't necessarily even hear anything about it, right? But anything that does have a website curriculum uh, recommendation, I usually project around three months for the project. Web design always takes longer than you think it's going to take, even when you have somebody doing it for you. Now, I would say that I'm probably not the most typical example. Mine took about three weeks, but I would, as a caveat to that, I would say that I worked on it literally every day during the pandemic to make that happen, and I had the help of a designer. I assume that most people are not as crazy as me when it comes to this sort of stuff. Like I just zoned in, and that was it. And I've generally found that inside the membership... That three months tends to be a reasonable timeline for artists making an update. So I like to give uh, timelines for the recommendations so that artists have a reasonable expectation of how long it will take to achieve the goals that you have. So pretty much anything I do with the assessments are gonna come with like and you know a little bit of a calendar that just says you can expect these things will take you. You know, X amount of time and we should check in. So I also feel that I should mention here that a good deal of my recommendations in the assessment are just referrals to the curriculum where I do deeper dives on some of these elements. But the point here is that I'm going to point out where to focus your attention. And when you have questions, you can come to a coaching call or you know, to the portal and get feedback. So you're never working in a vacuum. And that's really the point, because I think one of the most common places for artists, and and this goes for anybody really, but I I see it really commonly for artists is they get stuck in these kind of tiny vortexes that are caused by small skill gaps. So when you know there are things you need to do, but you don't know how, like you just don't know enough, about how to get them done to get it done. And so the assessment, it's really designed to help you push past that. So in the next podcast, I'm going to talk about Instagram. This is a a short sort of burst of a series that I'm doing. So you can look for that tomorrow. Thank you for listening if you like the show please leave a review and share it with a friend it really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you you can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art podcast